Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we incredulously read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are a way to try to rationalize the animaniac's physics of a goofy film by describing, in painstaking detail, the leaps people take from one external skyscraper elevator, a real thing, possibly, to another. Like a blind person whose body has been rewired in order to give them access to all cameras, thus achieving full 360-degree vision, readers of novelizations can use their mind's eye to see upsettingly vicious PG-13 violence, even without having a Star's subscription. Novelizations will kill the subscription video service model. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. And I'm Andrew Marco. Bloodshot is a 2020 superhero film directed by David S.F. Wilson. It stars Vin Diesel, who rules, Asa Gonzalez, also good, and Guy Pierce, the best, and is based off the Valiant Comics character originated in 1992. As a graphic novel character, Bloodshot was originally a mafia hitman named Angelo Mortali, which is quite a name. In a later story reboot, the character was changed to covert operative Raymond Garrison, who sometimes uses the Mortali identity in his missions. In all versions, the character is viciously murdered and then resurrected as a superpowered killer, his new abilities stemming from the replacement of his blood with microscopic nanites. Dope. The novelization Bloodshot was written by Gavin G. Smith, based on a screenplay by Jeff Wadlow and Eric Heiserer. It was published by Titan Books in February 2020, pre-pandemic. So usually here I would do the who is uh, Gavin G. Smith part of the episode, but possibly we'll be speaking with Gavin G. Smith at the end of this episode. So I'm going to sh- uh, sort of save the context for uh, if and when that occurs. So, okay, so just opening thoughts. What did you guys think of the film? I guess I'll, I'll throw to Hannah. Um, yeah. what'd you, what'd you think of the film and the novelization Bloodshot? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, to begin, I'm a big Vin Diesel fan. So I did buy Bloodshot when it came out in February, in March, 2020, like two weeks into quarantine Bloodshot comes out and I say, I'm going to see this movie and therefore I will buy it on iTunes and now I own it forever. So just for context. <laughs> <laughs> so me rewatching it was very simple. <laughs> But I like the movie. It's very silly. It's I would watch five Mr. Bloodshot movies. Um, <laughs> I think visually the movie is super cool. Like I would love to have seen this movie on a big screen or like in 4DX. Alas, did not get the chance. But um, it is like a pretty good time. And the novelization is not quite as good a time. <laughs> Um, I think the movie is very visuals heavy and that's what makes it really neat. And the book kind of struggles to match that. Um, so that's my, that's my opening. Absolutely. I mean, uh, as I sort of said in my intro, my description of novelizations, it, the, the visuals are so outlandish and the, uh, the physics of everything are so crazy and, and totally caution, like not caution of the wind, but reason to the wind, mm-hmm. like what anything goes that putting it down on paper is downright confusing. I, I think that the book yeah. is actually pretty good about 
capturing what happens in the movie, but describing what happens in the movie like makes a person mad. I think it would be hard for literally anyone. Like I don't want to knock Gavin Smith. I think it would be hard to capture like Vin Diesel's body like shredding into nanites and like these beautiful little twisty curly things that then reform into Vin Diesel. Like that would be hard for anyone to write. No, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I was thinking um, sort of going into this episode, it's for the most part such a faithful adaptation of the movie. What is, uh, what does the author sort of bring to this one? What 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 is added here? I'm interested to ask him, um, basically, whether he's working off a script or whether he was working off a finished movie. Because if he was working off a finished movie, the things he added mm-hmm. are insane. And the things he left out. So what's what are you thinking of when you say the things he like, left out? Um, the justification for Harding wanting to murder all these other guys. And maybe I like skimmed over it too quickly in the novelization, but it was, I didn't catch that in the novelization where in the movie, they spend like a good amount of time being like, these guys used to work for him. They splintered off and he's killing them off so that he has proprietary interest in ownership. Absolutely. And that is missing from the novelization. I would like in a to way just, that is, I think it, that's an important detail. I would like to sort of run through the the plot just very quickly here, just a summation, since I kind of lean towards the uh, the context of Bloodshot in in the intro as opposed to the actual plot description. So the plot of the movie is essentially that uh, Ray Garrison is this uh, covert ops guy, like he's like a as as an one of my favorite uh, Onion articles put it one time, he's a army guy, and um, <laughs> he completes a mission against some, you know, bad guys. And the bad guys find him the next day when he's just having nice sex times with his wife. And they're like, how did you figure out where we were? Or how did that mission go down? How'd you get your intel? He's like, I don't know. I'm just a hired gun. I really don't know. They kill his wife. They kill him. You're like, wow, end of movie. That was crazy. And then... Ten minutes. It's been... Maybe six minutes. <laughs> at this point, uh, Ray Garrison uh, awakens in a lab. He's uh, told that he uh, has been rebuilt and that he's now this killing machine with nanites in his blood that can, like, you know, re- uh, sort of heal him. And then also they give him super strength. And he's a superhero. But he he's also a has. Billion dollar man. He also has, quote unquote, no memory of his past for about two hours. Yeah. And then uh, his memories are triggered and he goes out and kills the person who killed his wife. Uh, And then at this point in the movie and book, it's revealed that this whole memory of his wife being murdered is, is a memory implant and that the, the people who, he awakens to each time who say, hey, we rebuilt you. Those people are actually sending him out to kill their enemies, uh, which is. They're using his like deep drive for revenge um, to go just like kill people who they want dead. <laughs> I s- he cannot be stopped once he's on the warpath. I said this in uh, our text thread, but this is just 
the plot of 2016 direct-to-video sequel Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. (laughs) (laughs) Which, if you haven't seen it, like uh, co-hosts here and listeners, is a real must-see. Because it is this insane movie where Universal Soldier, the movie from the 90s, is terrible. And uh, I've never seen Universal Soldier 2 or 3, but they're making these like direct to sequ- or direct to uh, video sequels, and they bring back the guy who did 3 to do 4. And there's apparently no oversight because he makes what is best described as a David Lynch video game action movie. <laughs> it's nonstop wow. action, but it is presented with not even the barest trappings of story. So people will walk in and they're, it'll it'll say, you know, oh, it's it's Van Damme, you know, from the first movie. Didn't he die? Doesn't matter. You get to fight him now. Like he's just a boss in a video game. And then after Van Damme dies, Dolph Lundgren from Universal Soldier 1 walks in, 2016 Dolph Lundgren, and he goes... I'm here now. You have to fight me now. <laughs> it's it's a it's a very insane uh, piece of and film. So when you say it's the same as Bloodshot, so the twist at the end of this movie, maybe the only bit of plot, <laughs> okay. is that the execution of his wife and children in the first scene of the movie is an implanted memory, so that he will go out and kill. The enemies of yeah. this organization, and I've been trying to figure out who ripped off who because you would think. Bloodshots started in 1992 as a Valiant Comics property, and so he, they, they probably ripped off Bloodshot. But then reading through, I'm like, but the Bloodshot story keeps changing. Is the part about him being created by a corrupt company part of his actual origin story? I don't know. I was going to ask that same thing because when you first mentioned the plot before you mentioned sort of the the twist it takes. My first thought was just RoboCop. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It just sounds like the plot of RoboCop, more or less. Uh, so you have to wonder, in the early 90s, was it created as sort of like, let's just do RoboCop, sort of, and then they added a more interesting backstory along the way. Yeah, it's possible. The thing that's tough about researching Valiant Comics is that it's not like Marvel and DC. That It's just really difficult to find the info because when you search Valiant Comics on Google, you mostly get Reddit threads and stuff of people on the Marvel subreddit going, <laughs> you know, Valiant Comics is actually pretty cool. You guys should check it out. <laughs> Do you also so, get like the Sunday paper comic strip Prince Valiant? Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't, no. <laughs> so I'm curious, is there like anything else in the valiant cinematic universe that i would be aware of no so i was okay i have to admit that i am a person who hadn't heard of iron man before the film iron man i mean i'm really not a comics guy uh that being said i looked up the valiant properties today and i've never heard of a single one i mean uh, i'm sure that comic book people if they're listening are like fuck this guy but um their other properties are Harbinger is a big one. Is that something you know about? Uh, let's see. You know, I think to our credit here, we never said that we were doing comic book adaptations. As no. you said, 
to us all off mic, you know, primary sources, not a go. We're not doing. No, absolutely. And I do. Only secondary or tertiary. I do stick to that. I'm not, I'm not passing any judgment. I, I, it's, it's nice to know that you also aren't aware of Valiant Comics because I, as, as Marvel becomes bigger and bigger, um, I've become very frustrated with how, you know, they'll they'll announce a new movie called something I've never heard of before. Uh, oh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Multiverse. And, and they'll go, and then everyone I know suddenly is saying things like, oh yeah, Shang-Chi, that's one of the Marvel comic books. It started in 1984. It's like, I bet if I asked you that in 2014, you wouldn't have known it. <laughs> I feel like I feel like uh, the world is gaslighting me in in regards to these uh the the monoculture. Um but yeah, anyway, so no, the they also have uh let me find the the name of it. Adam like A T O M. No, Solar Man of Adam. That's what it is. I'm assuming he's made up of atoms, which Weird As flex. Are we all? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Solar Man of Adam. They've got Carbon Boy. Um, oh, Carbon Boy. Of course, we no, all know. We all know Carbon Boy. That one I made up just because uh, we're all made of carbon. But so we have to assume that some point along the line, Super Nerd Vin Diesel said, "I w- want to play this guy. This sounds fun." Is he a super nerd? I mean, he like is a big noted like D and D player. Like, I don't know if you saw his like last Witchfinder movie or whatever, but that's just like he did a D and D campaign. I was like, I think this would make a good movie, and I'm like, made a movie. Um, it's a pretty fun film. I need to check this, but I don't know if I've ever seen. I think I've seen one Vin Diesel movie in its entirety. Andrew, no, come well, on. I, if we're counting Saving Private Ryan, I've seen The Pacifier. I've seen Saving Private Ryan. I've seen The Iron Giant. It's a good movie. And the Guardians of the Galaxy Avengers stuff he's in, but I don't think I've ever seen. You've never seen a Fast and Furious. You've never like. Well, I've only seen Too Fast, Too Furious, which he is famously not in. Uh So I apologies to the Vin stands listening in. You're lucky that I'm here to represent us. Yeah, I think I think Hannah and I are both pretty big VIN heads. Uh, <laughs> as I like to say, you can't file off my VIN number. Ayo! <laughs> I like um, that. I, I would like to be a VIN stan, but you just I have gotta, no excuse. So, yeah, just watch those Fast and Furiouses and you'll be like 70% there. You have okay. to imagine that uh, VIN's involvement with this is a reaction to Marvel. I mean, I know yeah. he's in Marvel. I know, I get that. But uh, Vin Diesel currently plays Groot uh, in the Guardians movies, and even while doing that, even though he's gotten himself into the MCU, he, you know, keeps pushing for a second character. So it's yeah. so which I, I love for him, and he's like, it's just my voice. I can do something else too. Totally, totally. What if I played a character who didn't speak? I Perfect. I think they should take another yeah. route, and it should be Vin's body and someone else's voice. I think that'd be so <laughs> disconcerting. That would be crazy. I don't know Wait, if I can handle so, that. <laughs> so he, he doesn't speak in this movie. No, no, no he does speak in Bloodshot. But his like, idea for being brought into Marvel in an, as another character is. Groot is my voice, but not my visage. And could we okay. do a character that's my visage, but not my voice? You know, I wonder... So we know that he does every language of Groot. 
Because he just needs to learn how to say I am. Right. In and then he languages. has to perform it every time that is spoken throughout the movie because he is a hero who takes his job very seriously. You know, I just wonder if he's ever thought about, like, really committing and doing that for the Bloodshot films or the Fast and Furious films. Like, I'm going to learn however many languages this is being released in because, you know, cinema is important and they need to hear my voice. I do wonder when other actors do Vin Diesel for different language voiceover, if they have to, like, take on, like, his whole thing. Like, they have to. Right. It's so important to who he is. With a huge star, I bet that's the case. If it's not a huge star, I imagine that they just put their own spin on it, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of, like, you know, American dubs of, like, you know, kung fu movies. And, like, that's probably not yeah. what those dudes' voices sounded like. <laughs> I do want to say, while we're on the Vin note, I think he is giving a super good performance yeah. in the movie. Like, yeah. it is very, like, tremulous tender like he's giving a full range he's um, he's giving so, he's a really believable performance but he's giving a performance as a dummy if that makes <laughs> sense like he's yeah. he's yeah. giving real channing tatum energy in the movie where it's you're going i believe that he's a bit thick <laughs> Yes, and that he's, like, having a hard time grasping this. But yes. Like, what do you mean my wife is dead? Please help me. Like, yeah, I think you're totally right. Uh, a great performance. Not sure it totally translates into the novelization, but it's hard to capture that very specific Vin thing. I think, oh, sorry, I'm going to just totally change gears here because I, I was moving towards a point and I totally abandoned it, which is, <laughs> in describing the plot, I, I, I just wanted to say... Um, First of all, Andrew, the rest of the plot is essentially that, of course, once he learns that the people are, like, puppeting him to kill people, they become the enemies, right? And then he's just fighting them right. for the rest of the movie. Yeah. I, in the book and the movie, was very unclear as to the bona fides of the organization that was doing this. I spent most of the book thinking they were a government-sanctioned organization but then i watched the movie and i thought oh my god is this a private company i think they are a private company but they are like contractors and the government the u.s government has said like take our dead soldiers take a billion dollars let's see what you come back with we're just throwing money at the war effort as they do but that okay so harding the the primary guy villain pierce. guy pierce uh, yeah. The head of this company, he's creating this technology, and he's currently using it to kill off... This is where it gets really fucked up. Like, I, I get that he's the villain, but he's using Bloodshot to kill off not even people that betrayed him, just people that left the company? Yeah. Like, this is what I find sort of confusing between the movie and the novelization. But in the novelization, they kind of make a point to say, like, Martin Axe and Barris are like not good people and they are war criminals in their own right. And so Bloodshot killing them is like, he's doing it under false pretenses and maybe they don't deserve it necessarily, but like he doesn't have to feel bad about killing them because they were bad people. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, they are not bad people. No. They are just like fellow scientists who are getting hunted well, by Guy Pierce. Barris gets a little, uh, 
gets a little shade thrown on him by Wiggins, by his That's like true. tech guy who uses the term indentured servitude to to describe their That's relationship. True. And and Wiggins does specifically allow Bloodshot to kill Barris to free himself. Mm-hmm. So that made me think Barris maybe wasn't the nicest dude. But it I does seem between the two that we see get murdered in the film. Like Barris is the worst one. Martin Axe just seems like a scientist guy who's super scared. Martin Axe seems nice. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like a really nice dude. That was a great <laughs> performance by uh, Toby Kebble, who... I, know. I really uh, like him, even though I don't think he's ever been in a successful movie. So... I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys keep referring to Vin Diesel as Bloodshot. Is he called Bloodshot in the film? Hannah, why don't you take this one? No. <laughs> the answer is no. Is the word he Bloodshot is, spoken in the film? I think it is briefly. He's called, he's referred to as Project Bloodshot, maybe like okay. once or twice in the film. In the novelization, his name is Bloodshot, and he is exclusively referred to as Bloodshot until he like remembers that he was once Ray Garrison. Right. Right. Uh, Well, so here's, I just watched the movie this morning. I, (laughs) I think you must be right because I read the book first before having ever seen the movie. Mm -hmm. And I didn't notice that at all, but it's because I took the book in first where they call him bloodshot 4,000 times. Yes. And so the absence of that in the movie, I didn't notice. I was just like, of course he's bloodshot. But even in, also in the movie versus the novelization, like in the novelization, the other guys also have like a code name that is not used in the movie. The other guys. The like chainsaw oh. guys. Dalton oh, yeah. Okay. So I want to get at one of my... Wait, actually, I'm sorry to go back to this. The, the, <laughs> the, the government agency versus private company issue really manifest to me in it being a private company is so messed up when you consider the way in which he is imprisoning KT, the the female lead. Because when I thought they were a government agency, that to me was dark, but it meant that it was part of the dystopian world that Bloodshot took place in. Mm -hmm. When it's just something your boss is doing... That's <laughs> yeah. insane. Uh, Andrew, yeah, just to yeah. explain, uh, KT, KT the... was a Navy swimmer mm-hmm. who got her esophagus burned by toxins. So Guy Pierce has installed a respirator in her chest. So everybody in this movie is like augmented people. And hers is that she can like breathe anything and be fine. But, but also sometimes he can shut off her respirator. <laughs> Because he has control over the technology. Exactly, exactly. I I will say one of the most confusing things about the novelization was, you know, when you're watching the movie, you go, oh, uh, Dalton's got the the legs and and Harding's got the arm. I think. Tibbs has the eye thing. Now, what are are the legs? So, those are very straightforward. By Sam... Hoohan. Yeah, from Outlander. Um, who, in all of his attempts to break into movies, is, it's not working. Mm-hmm. But he, he's like a secondary villain. His legs got blown up by an IED, so he has machine legs that are very strong and very fast. And then there's another guy whose like, eyes got burned out, so he has like a 
chest plate that's covered in little cameras that plugs into his brain so he can see everything. That's not what it is. I have to stop you. So maybe in the movie that's what it is. But I looked this up beforehand because I like (laughs) I made that joke about the 360 vision in the intro. And at least in the graphic novel, he has an ability to hack into all cameras and phones and everything around him at all times. I think that's referenced in the novelization. And that's movie, how he gets his sight. It just sort of seems like he has yeah. like essentially an invisible it man. It seems suit. like he's <laughs> like a it seems like they made him into like a self-driving truck. You know, yeah. <laughs> like um yeah. and by the way, I want to add Tibbs to my list. I forget if I mentioned this on the podcast or on the text thread. I want to add Tibbs to my list of Hollywood's blind people, but we don't want to deal with the fact that he's blind. Because <laughs> there's so many. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like... Th- what I if mean, they have I, superpowers instead? Like, which is the thing. Right. I mean, the so I guess I can think of three examples off the top of my head. This one, Blind Fury with Rucker Howard, where he's just smart enough. There's a scene in that movie that I think of all the time where he's like a prisoner in the back of a van. And in the front of the van, they're like... Let's throw this prisoner's sword out the window. Fuck him. And they throw it out the window. And in the back of the van, he looks out the window as if he can see his sword go by. Um, so, um, anywho, uh, Blind Fury. And then there was that that show on USA that I never watched. But uh, in the ads, there was some blind guy who just could do everything because <laughs> he was smart or whatever. It's There's offensive. I think those. it's offensive. Yeah, it's- to, yeah. to bring to I think it's offensive to to I mean even like um Daredevil oh Daredevil the best version totally. of this where like at least that character is like acknowledges his blindness and like has a cane and uses technology right more than any other character who is blind I've ever seen just imagine yeah. I did this with any other either differently abled person or like neurological atypical person. Like, it would be so messed up to be like, oh, I have, like, an autistic character, but they're basically not, you can't tell at all. Well, all of them, like, the whole thing in this movie is, like, you may be a wounded warrior, but we can fix you and make you better. Like, Sam Huchen, like, sorry, his character's name is Dalton. I'm going to stick to that. Mm -hmm. Like, he has no legs. Like, he should be having a harder time, but they've built him such good legs that he saunters around, like, you know... That's definitely, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Are these bad guys or (laughs) good guys? I mean, life isn't (laughs) black and white, Andrew. I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you. Um, (laughs) So So at the start of this story, whose allegiance are they Bloodshot is working for this company, right? And the company's run by a bad guy. Harding. Yeah, Harding. Um, And then there's basically three other characters at the company. So... KT, who is the female lead, who like, you know, she's good because she's basically imprisoned there because of the breathing thing. He, the boss, can Uh suffocate her at any point, Um, and she's good, or turns out to be good. Uh, There's uh, Tibbs, the blind guy, who's sort of the third bowl of porridge. He's (laughs) he's like a bad guy in that he does what the bad guys say, but. He also is looking at the other guy, Dalton, throughout the book and being like, this guy is a psychopath. (laughs) Yeah, and Dalton is a full psycho. Dalton's just a sadist. Yeah. Who likes to hurt people. And then the book reveals that he also abandoned 
his team to die, and that's how he lost his legs. Are you talking about Into the Fire? No, I think Into the Fire is KT's origin. Oh, you didn't read it. I could tell you all about Into the Fire because I finished it biking today. Is it all Um, three of them? Does it give you all of them? It is. I'm sorry. Is Into the Fire part of this book or is it a Metallica? So I can't wait to. (laughs) (laughs) It is a short story in the back of the Bloodshot. And not that short. So it's a no. preview of like, if you like this book, you'll love no, Into no, the no, Fire. No, 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 no. It is like, and, and I'm going to ask Gavin Smith about this, but it is like a, I think a short story in the Bloodshot universe that he was just allowed to write. The thing I'm unclear okay. on is whether he based it off like an like a Bloodshot spinoff issue or something. I don't know whether it totally sprung from his brain or whether it's it's canon. Um it tells the story of basically KT, the one who has the breathing apparatus. She's pre-breathing apparatus. She's pre-meeting Bloodshot. This has nothing to do with Bloodshot. She's doing like her um, job. And I was listening to this while biking. And, and it, it, the, the thing that was tough with this book about doing the audiobook, this is true of the short story and the novel, is just it was really difficult to take in the specifics of the action and what was going on. I feel like context-wise, I'm a little iffy on the short story. But basically, she has, like, a job where she's part of a military team that, like, does good. So they're trying to rescue um, Syrians who are, like, being gassed by their own government. And uh, it, it essentially tells the story of how she meets Dalton and Tibbs, who are involved in this uh, mission that she's on. And during the mission, she gets her lungs all messed up or whatever. So the short story ends with her waking up at RST with this uh, thing in her neck. And it's it's basically, yeah, an origin story for her, but but Tibbs and Dalton fe- feature in heavily. Are they already augmented themselves? They, they are already like- augmented. Okay. Yep, when they sense. show up, the, the thing that first tips you off that it's like a prequel is that when they show up, she's commenting on their prosthetics, so... Um, but, also, it could only be a prequel because at the end of Bloodshot, they're both dead. Oh, for Tibbs and Dalton. Yeah. Yes, yes, like, 100%. We, we can <laughs> have them back. Um, when we were talking about how like faithful a uh, translation of the movie this book is, mm-hmm. the thing that really stood out to me as a big difference is that this book is so viscerally violent like oh, you mentioned yeah. in the opening that it's like a PG-13 movie, but this book is a fully R-rated book. <laughs> it has like brains exploding, bones crunching, skulls getting like ripped apart. Like it is so nasty. And then speaking of Tibbs, Dalton, and then when Harding dies, like the deaths in this book are also much nastier. Yeah, but they like, kind of ruled though, right? I mean, they do kind of rule. Like, <laughs> I wish in the movie that Mr. Bloodshot, like, let Dalton drown because he's trapped in a heavy, so, like, exosuit. This part was one, of the, was one of the things where the audiobook was sort of getting away from me. So what is I, the Dalton death in the book? Well, in the book, he has the, like, exosuit on. Mm-hmm. And I, the description of the book is that it's more of, like, a heavier, bigger, like, body right. cage. Not, like, in the movie, it's just sort of a chest plate with arms. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems heavier in the novelization. 
And Bloodshot uses his nanites to like go into the machinery and shut down the exosuit. So Dalton is just trapped in this like thing he can't get out of. And then Bloodshot tips him over (laughs) into like a fountain and watches him drown. Kind of awesome. Uh, Which is so gnarly. What happens what happens in the film? Uh, there's a huge he fight on those on a bunch of external elevators, and whereas in the book Tibbs, the blind guy, falls off the elevator and dies, they essentially both fall off the elevator and die. Yeah, they huh. they get rid of, of both characters that way. Um, the um, Harding death is basically the same in the book, right? It's not. <laughs> well, like because I mean it's related, but in the same way, like. Bloodshot has been told, like, you have these nanites and you can use them creatively. Uh And once he realizes that he can use his blood to, like, hack other people's tech, like, in the book, he gets into Harding's arm and makes him shoot himself. Oh, yeah. Which is also pretty gnarly. And in the movie, he just is like, I'm carrying a grenade and now we will both blow up. Right. Harding shoots a grenade at him. He catches the grenade, walks up to him. With his nanites, which is pretty cool. I mean, that sequence, the last sequence in the movie is cool, for sure. Something that surprised me about the PG-13 rating, Mm -hmm. and this isn't something I wanted to see, but, like, I was just surprised, like, a Vin Diesel movie rated PG-13. I was kind of nervous just being like, when are they going to shoe in sexualizing the female lead? And when it didn't happen, I was like, good for you, Bloodshot. I mean, it's definitely PG-13 for violence, and then it has the one fuck in it. But it's definitely mostly violence. But there's, there's like, uh, for a movie that's about, like, you know, I guess I guess his wife at the beginning is, like, mostly naked. You see some side From the, boob, from the back. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess there's that. I just, the, the movies that I've seen that have this sensibility of, like, yeah, action is yeah. awesome. <laughs> You know, they tend to... like, the sexiest it gets on KT is when she's, like, underwater doing her... Her kata. Kata. Yeah. And But she's, like, in a one-piece high-neck bathing suit, and the movie, at least, spends most of the time on her face. I think... It's very respectful. I think the reason I was nervous about it was because her uniform was, like, a sports bra. And I was, like... With sleeves? Right, sure. But But I was, like, oh, like, they're trying to make sure every time this person is on screen, their skin... This can only yeah. go in a bad direction. And actually, director David S. Wilson, uh, S.F. Wilson, um, was was like, uh, actually, I just like an inch of skin at all times. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, like, it would be very easy for Bloodshot and KT to be like, and we're romantically interested in each they other. They are, though, aren't they? I mean, they are, but it's very, like, they're in the early stages. Like, they don't kiss. Yes. They don't, like you know, run into each other's arms. They just feel a connection together and it's like very wholesome. And it's nice that like similarly the book isn't like her tits were great. Okay. So I'm actually worried that I'm like becoming this guy on the podcast. (laughs) But like, I don't want to be the guy who for every movie is like, this is problematic. This is problematic. Something that's always bothered me. All movies are problematic. So, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) Fiction um, is inherently a problem because it's not real. You know, like we're tricking people. I Oh, true. Reality is so much better. You're right. <laughs> I found a great uh, review that has to do with the relation between fiction and reality. Can't wait to read it. Um, so, uh, Which of the, the bloodshot is dealing with? 
as a story. So yes, yes, totally. I, I was um. So let me. I guess I'll say the first thing before I launch into something else, which is, uh, in these macho movies. And I'm trying to think of another good example. I feel like it happens a lot in a, in like Schwarzenegger movies. In these macho movies, when the person who ends up being sympathetic to them and like turns is always a woman, there's something weird about that. It's something almost like, ah, yes, in the end, she was maternal. There's that, and the flip side of it is, is, if a man did that, would we think it was gay? So like, Who cares? I agree. I mean, I agree. You know that I'm like, I, yeah, gay it up. But like, I do think that like in macho movies about tough guys killing people, there is like a balance you have to do of like, if he has too many guys who are like, you're my dude, right. bro. Like, you know, it's a thing that... Right. Nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to be another like, hmm. point break. And then, like, as a side note, the beauty of the Fast and Furious franchise, which is Vin, mm-hmm. 100%, is that, like, the Fast and the Furious is just a Point Break remake. And yes. it's equally emotionally tender. Wait, you mean the fourth movie? The, no, I mean the first movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think... Oh, yeah, that is the... Because the third... Was the, the plot of Point Break right. related to Laserdisc players well, instead no, of DVD but it's players? Like, they send a guy to infiltrate a criminal thing to find out what the crime is doing, and then he falls in love with the leader of the criminals, and he realizes they're criminals, and he's like, what do I do? Same plot, same movie. Um, wouldn't it and have, they're both great. Wouldn't it have been amazing if, if the twist at the end of Fast and Furious, the first one, was that they, they robbed the truck, and they were like, oh my god, these are Betamax video players. <laughs> <laughs> they're like a generation behind. <laughs> um, but the point is that, like, the, the rest of the Fast and Furious franchise is not afraid to be like, this is my brother, and I love him, and we hug, and we care about each yes. other. Like, that's, I think, the power that Vin Diesel brings, is that he himself is, like, an earnest, emotional person, and he's, like, not afraid to do that in his movies. I think the thing that irks me about women always being sympathetic in these cases is, like, it it almost is, like, a, a stronger character to have someone be unabashedly evil right it it's, it can, it's i mean let women go batshit you know like, right. let, it's let women be bad it's weird to have to to like have the character appealing to a female character and then the female character like caves to it it just feels icky to me somehow this in this case it doesn't ick me out so badly because the context of kt is that she's watched him go through this so like she knows him mm-hmm. better than he knows her right so like she is sympathetic to him not because she just met him and he's like a handsome guy but because she's like watched him feel pain and be mistreated even more than that i think the thing that made it work for me in this case is the fact that later in the book they really lay on the she is enslaved part (laughs) yes this is so fucked up for all of us that really clarified that she is a victim and not a co-conspirator but early in the book i didn't feel like that was super apparent Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the book is keeping secrets from you, as is the movie. Like, it takes a minute for you to be like, "Oh, I have the full understanding of what is occurring there." Yeah, definitely. I was thinking when when researching that thing about how uh, how Bloodshot was a a mob hitman. <laughs> I was like, that is weirdly like meta 
that he was one thing. And then they rebooted him. And they were like, actually, you're a special ops guy. And you've always been a special ops guy. And you've always been. Uh. Oh, Mr. Bloodshot. Uh, Yeah, I... I, Overall, I really enjoyed the action, even though it was insanely stupid. Like, that that shot of... I, I think it's the sequence where they do end up catching him when he's in... So he goes to see his, his wife from the, the memory where who she gets murdered. Who he learns is not actually dead. Who he learns is, is not actually dead and is also like an ex-girlfriend of his who doesn't really want to see him again. And then all, all the bad guys show up and they're chasing him. And there's that one shot where he gets pushed backwards or he pushes someone backwards into the back of a van do you know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? And it's yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. it's like a crane shot of just a body hitting the back of like a standard white van, and it looked cool as hell. There is so much visually cool shit in that movie, like the whole fight in Budapest with the flower, like oh it's yeah, dark, there's lights, there's like stuff in the air. It looks so cool. Vin Diesel is just like a ghost who shows up to murder people. It rules. Yeah, yeah, that tunnel sequence is really incredible. Um, and yeah, it's a movie where like everything is well lit and you can always see what's happening, which I really appreciate. Yeah, um, I I can't wait to tell you about these uh, these Marvel films that have been coming out. Super bright colors. <laughs> um, yeah, the so the sequence where he hunts down Martin Axe that you were just talking about, where he ends up finding him in the in the tunnel and uses uh, if i see this in one more movie i'm gonna die he throws flour everywhere he antiques everyone to get the assassination done god it's like how many movies have i seen where that happens um he it does fu- also though features a, a nice moment where one of the mercenaries is like what's this stuff oh it's flour like he tastes it like that guy in star wars who's like it's salt like we just have to know that it's like not cocaine or it's not like cement dust like like yeah, it. the 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 it doesn't make sense in either case. <laughs> it's a psychotic thing to do in either case. Like you know, it, it, it especially in the tunnel. It's like you, you could very well be like, it's anthrax. Like, <laughs> <laughs> say at least with like white substance, you're like, is it a drug? Is it something evil? I don't know what the worry was in Last Jedi. What they thought we would think it is. It's salt. <laughs> like they're like you we know i know, know we're two and a half hours into this movie but we really have to establish this you know i feel like probably they were like we can't let anyone think this is another sand planet or another ice or planet we've done that yeah. this is a salt planet that that definitely makes sense i think they were also maybe trying to lay the groundwork for um having every time you touch the salt it like turns over and is red yeah and they were probably trying to establish that um i'm ready to just express what i think is a controversial Star Wars opinion. Um, Do it. Do it. I like The Last Jedi. I'm not one of these people who thinks it's trash. But um, having having Luke go see a round kid and then also die elsewhere, it's like, pick one. Don't do both. <laughs> I, I was so confused by that. I was like, am I excited that he's going to be back in the next movie or am I sad he died? Why did they try to do both? And he never sees him around. He never sees him around, kid. 
Well, we know, you know that there's a failing in the connectivity between one and or seven and eight and eight and nine. No, like there's a there's problems. But there. my issue is fully contained in eight. <laughs> like it's so weird. Why why would you end a movie with a character going, "Hey, I guess I'll be back," and then walking off a cliff? It's weird. <laughs> I mean, maybe he didn't know he was going to die from using all his force projection. We issues. don't need to get into it, but I agree. <laughs> Wait, you agree with me? I do agree with oh, you. Oh, okay. Like, there's a series of things <laughs> in Last Jedi that I'm like, that's a good movie. I get that it's a good movie, but also, like, why this? I, I really, why are we doing this? I really hate that Star Wars discourse has gotten so caught up with, like, you know, people who are legitimately toxic and sexist that, like, expressing that I have some issues with The Last Jedi, like, almost puts a target on my back. <laughs> yeah, this is why I've, like, I'm just, like... Fine, like the, fine film. The, well, I'll move on, but the but the yeah. the movie also just undercuts every single dramatic moment with a joke, which I just don't think is a great choice. I also have some problems with like, I get that we all don't know what to do with Oscar Isaac in those movies. Like we're really struggling with him. Yeah, but like let him go on the adventure with John Boyega. Done. Yeah, yeah. Better movie. Like I don't need him to have his own storyline where he's a piece of shit. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you think I wanted that? And then he's just a total piece of shit. And at the end of the movie, they just go, "I like him. I like him too." That's fine. We're, we forgive that he behaved like a piece of crap for days. <laughs> Got so many people killed. Um, the only thing I will add, and then we will get off Star Wars forever, is I don't know why they didn't just have Laura Dern play Mon Mothma. Like, also, yeah, why isn't that lady who is Mon Mothma back? Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, think about. People probably would have cared half as much if it was a character from the original trilogy. If Mon Mothma dies, you'd be like, wow, but also, like, what an arc. Then you would also undercut this like dumb Poe storyline where like, if Mon Mothma shows up and is like, I'm in charge now, you're like, well, of course you are. You're Mon Mothma. Right. You're like a hero <laughs> of the rebellion. Like, the whole thing. Maybe Lord Dern should have just played Admiral Akbar though. <laughs> That would have been good. Akbar did okay. did perish, right? Anyway, so um, <laughs> cut it out, cut all that stuff. Out. We're just making ourselves look bad. I mean, don't necessarily. I've been we're going to get been, canceled by the. Star I've been Wars trying fans. to uh, trying to get that opinion out for a while, so I can't wait till the hordes hear it. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to be yelled at by mean Star Wars fans. That's what I'm looking forward to as a woman on the internet. I was going to say I love I love this situation I've put us in where I'm I'm a man who gets to deal with this and you're a woman who gets to deal with this. Um, <laughs> no, initially when you just said I agree after I said a bunch of stuff, I was like, what a great way to. <laughs> I was like, what a great way to just get out of a conversation you don't want to be in. Is I just talk for two minutes straight and you go, I agree. <laughs> And moving on. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that we need to talk about is that one of the lines he adds in the book is Wiggins going, uh, he's, he suggests that Bloodshot is black, and then he goes, I mean, I think you're black. Are you black? I know I'm black. And it's a funny I, line. Yeah. And in the audiobook, I laughed. But then when I saw the movie, I was like, that's not in the movie. Why on earth was it added in the book? And and it makes me think, like, was was the movie not even cast yet? I do wonder. Like, I believe in my the back of my brain that Bloodshot as a movie is a Vin Diesel-like 
project that he pushed forward right. when he was always connected to it. I do think that I wonder if on the day they filmed it and then they went, the diesel doesn't read as black enough for that to work. It's this weird... Which is not his fault because he is, you know, ethnically whatever he is. Totally. So he's like kind of ethnically ambiguous. So that's a thing about him. But this just feels like such a weird misreading of him being ethnically ambiguous, right? Like, yeah. it, it it's like making a joke about The Rock being ethnically ambiguous and being like, who knows where he's from? Korea? You're like, it's not that. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lamorne Morris, what a choice. What a choice. It, it doesn't really fit with the, up to that point, the world of the movie at all. And then the movie really doubles down on going, no, this comedic actor is still playing comedic. He's not going against type. And it's kind of his show now. Yeah, he is very charming. He's very charming and, interesting and is like, things continue to revolve around him because he's yeah. because Wiggins is this huge turning point in the plot where essentially the characters are just fucked because Bloodshot is controlled by Harding and KT is controlled by Harding. So there's no way out. And then they just get with Wiggins, a tech guy, and he can just un unprogram everything. So he gets to kind of take over the plot. And he's very charming. And he and Vin Diesel have like an interesting, fun chemistry of like big guy, little guy. Yes. <laughs> Which is really fun. Who's the big guy and who's the little guy? Vin Diesel is the big guy. Vin Diesel's the little oh. guy, and then uh, what is what is the what is the actor's name? I just didn't know that. Uh, is Vin tall? I think he is tall, and he's like big. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew like he was a, like a stocky guy. I just didn't know if he had a lot of uh, vertical on him. I think he's probably like six feet. Let me. Look. I'll look it up for you. Again, I've only seen The Pacifier, and he was around a lot of children in that movie. Vin so Diesel the height disparities. Height. Andrew, I was... Google uh, says he's six feet even. I was uh, texting you earlier, Andrew, about biking, and I am starting to think, because I have such shrimp arms, and now as I'm, like, training for this, like, 100-mile race, my, my quads are getting immense, and I'm now, I'm wondering, like, if I keep this going on purpose, can I become, like, a circus freak? <laughs> you can. You'd be that guy in Lady in the Water who only exercises one arm. Yeah, but like I feel like it's such an unusual version of that to see it just legs. Where it's like I have like I have like tree trunks and then little sticks up top. <laughs> I mean, God bless you. You should go for it. Um yeah, maybe I could make a whole, you know, movie career off it and whatnot. Just he looks weird. Let's cast him. um so speaking of things that the author added how about just the fact that this book ends on a cliffhanger and the movie definitively doesn't i watched the whole credits thinking maybe there's a post-credit scene that i didn't watch the first time hannah i said there isn't i said to my girlfriend hold on there's a (laughs) post-credit scene and then the just, you know, Sony or whatever it is flashed on the screen and the movie was over. Yeah, my iTunes started auto-playing The Mummy 2017. So I was like, wait a second. Harding, you, you already said this, but Harding, Harding's death in the book, I'm getting the book and the movie mixed up. He has the grenade mm-hmm. death in the movie and then what's the book one again? He shoots himself in the head. Okay. Because Bloodshot takes over his arm. So it's just very confusing because the, the book ends with 
the epilogue. I'll read the whole epilogue because it's like half a page. Very short. Um, let me, I got to get back to before Into the Fire. As a brief <clears throat> side note for context for the epilogue, on the flip side of Wiggins, who is like such a character, Harding also has a tech guy who feels like he should be an equal kind of character, but he's just like a much more subdued guy. <laughs> Oh my! Eric and and Gavin Smith spills so much ink to say that Eric sucks. <laughs> I know. Um, but then there's also a scene in the book where Eric is like, "I'll help you, KT," which is not in the movie. I think that, um, that made me more sympathetic to him. I think that uh, the book is a lot more sinister than the movie. Uh, I agree. I think that the, in the movie, the performances that are being given. I I, I mean, <laughs> Hannah, in your letterbox review from today. You like yeah. talk about how uh, Guy Pierce. I mean, both of our reviews were about Guy Pierce. He's, He's just the standout star. of the movie. He's fantastic. Um, my, I I was saying like he just acts like he's giving the performance of his life, even when he's acting opposite Vin Diesel, who you know is a little wooden, even though we like him. Um, and then you were saying like the moment where he is kind of struggling to give this performance to bloodshot that he gives every time he sends bloodshot out on a mission just sort of like uh, he's act guy pierce is acting like a bad actor uh it's really satisfying like the second time they go through the sequence and guy pierce kept having to be like mute it and then he has to cut back and be like where are you going bloodshot and he just can't keep it fresh his delivery of where are you going the second time is so funny he literally just goes like (laughs) It's like he he takes a moment to collect himself before, and he's like, "Where are you going?" <laughs> he's like, <laughs> so he's terrible performance, and um, that uh, that just like even though he's playing a monster, moments like that do make you have some warmth towards the character because they feel like real people. Yeah. He um, just like feels like an exasperated like bureaucrat who's like, "This is supposed to work." Come on, yes, guys. totally. And in the book, he's much more like a megalomaniac, like God complex, like creep. Well, um. the first time Bloodshot escapes in the book, he, when Harding starts talking to him through his brain, and he's like, "Where are you going?" Uh, the way it's described, I wish I had bookmarked it, but the way it's described is like uh, he had a flat affect, as if he was on the brink of anger. But he wasn't there yet because he was used to people doing what he said. So he was just asking nicely. You know, uh, basically... There is a level of politeness in Guy Pearce's performance, which, like, I feel like he's bringing to it. He's very much like, can we get this up, please? Like, can you find that for me? Thank you. Um, Like, clipped, mean, for sure, but, like, has some... That is not present in the novelization that I think is, like, a nice little touch. Yeah, in in the book, I feel like his whole thing is God complex, to the point where he's almost beyond uh, being, what's the word I'm looking for? I already used it on this episode. He's beyond being um, when you inflict pain on others. Sadistic? Sadistic. He's like beyond being sadistic. He's not He's not uh, intentionally hurting people. He just so fully believes that his evil will be realized, you know? Right. It's, like, yeah. very dark and disaffected, whereas in the movie, he's giving this very lively performance. And I felt that across the book. Like, I thought that the Dalton character, who is legitimately sadistic, mm-hmm. um, only read as unadulterated evil in the book. Whereas yeah. in the movie, you're able to read that, like, 
he is like a little bit incompetent. He's like, oh, you know. Um, yeah, there's a reason he has not been promoted. <laughs> totally, totally. The book really makes it feel like the company is just like hell on earth. It seems like a bad place to work. Anyway, this epilogue, though. Oh, yeah, I was going to read the This is how long the epilogue is, by the way. It's about an inch and a half of text. All right, here we go. Eric sat at his workstation. Eric, of course, the, the tech for the evil company. Eric sat at his workstation in the rebuilt ops center. He was listening to Go With The Flow by Stone Temple Pilots. Don't say it. Don't say it. I've got to, I have something to say about this. <laughs> he was listening to Go With The Flow by Stone Temple Pilots on his headphones. Up on the large central monitors, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith were being put through their paces in the film Bad Boys. Eric looked up at the screen. He was waiting for the shot he knew was coming. Lawrence and Smith rising into frame against a clear blue sky, the camera circling them. It was the hero shot, modern-day mythology at work. Eric clicked his mouth... Mouse? He clicked his mouth. <laughs> Eric clicked his mouse, grabbing the image slotting it into the latest memory implant video, the latest simulation. Eric didn't see Harding at the op center glass door, staring at him with pure, unadulterated contempt. So Harding has survived. Does Eric know he survived or is he about to learn? It's not even the clear. The epilogue is so unclear to me about like what's happening, why, like in what context. Like, is did Harding give himself the bloodshot technology and that's how he was able to survive getting shot in the mm -hmm, face? Mm -hmm. Are they trying to make him into a bloodshot and that's what the simulation is for? Did he escape that and that's why he's like, you don't get to give me fucking bad boys, I'm gonna murder you. Like, what's happening there? It, it's totally unclear. I want to talk about the... We have to ask Mr. Smith, like... Please explain the epilogue to us. I wanna, what is the impetus of that? I really want to talk about the song. Okay. <laughs> yes. So okay. what were you going to say? It looks like you're about to say something. I was just going to say in a movie, in a, in a novelization that isn't full of that kind of like name droppy, like quoting of other things. There's one. It's huge. Yes. Well, there's Psycho Killer. They use Psycho Killer by huge. talking heads over and over again in the book and the movie. Yes. yes. But then like there isn't, it's not like in Great Expectations, from my understanding, of like, you know, they're name branding stuff all the time. That does not happen here. And to be like Stone Temple pilots who have not been cool or in the world for like years, like where, why that? Okay, and so here's the thing. <laughs> when authors, so like Stephen King recently, and, and this is like a little, little King criticism, like in the last 15 years, he has started really putting song drops into his books <laughs> which is on the one hand uh I mean, he's always done that christine every chapter opens really i noticed yeah. i noticed yeah, it, it's it's a big campaign. i noticed it around yeah. the time that under the dome came out it was when i started where like every chapter would be like lcd sound system was playing and i'd be like stop like <laughs> but, so the thing about that is that first of all it suggests that you really love that band Right? And you're like, this is a good song. This is how I see it in my head. Second of all, with a guy like King, it's just gross because it's him being like, everything I do gets made into a movie. <laughs> you know? um, I've chosen your soundtrack already. I love I Go With The Flow. I love this song, okay? The fact that Gavin Smith put it in must mean that he likes it, right? <laughs> so this is, this is why we have to have an episode before we interview him. 
I'm not going to say this to him because it feels too confrontational. Mm -hmm. This is the wrong band. That's not by Stone Temple Pilots. It's by Queens of the Stone Age, and he got his stone bands mixed up. Oh, my God. Yes, and so I just don't... Did they maybe do a cover? No. I mean, maybe oh once, God. but, like, if you Google Go With The Flow, if they ever did a cover, it, like, doesn't come up. So it's not a cover that God. took. Here's here's my theory. That scene was filmed. It must have been. It must have been. It must have been. And I bet he doesn't listen to Queens of the Stone Age or Stone Temple Pilots. Now, like, buying this movie on Apple TV means, like, the special features thing is, like, very hard to access. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, here's my hot take. I think Apple TV is a bad platform. It's really hard to use. Um, but, like, if I had a Blu-ray of Bloodshot and there were deleted scenes on it, mm -hmm. I would watch all of them. But it's so hard for me to access that, owning a digital copy. I'm so curious now. I mean, we can we can ask him whether that was a film scene he had to react to. I just am not going to be like, you got it wrong. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> well, when you Google bloodshot deleted scenes, there's like at least three. Okay. Including an alternate ending. Well, we'll have to watch that on our own. Also, Andrew. What did I do? Just so you know, bloodshot is like on Hulu. Like, I think you can just, like, watch it. Is it? That's what Google says. Just watch Lied to Me, then. I'm so sorry. Just, wait, just watch the thing that's, like, synced with Letterboxd. Sucks so bad. It is not reliable. It's, it's, every time it'll be, like, you know, no availability, and I'll be like, no, and then I just type in Google, you know, <laughs> uh, you know snuff films to stream, and they're like, they're everywhere. <laughs> 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 okay okay let's let's wrap up there were certain about this there were certain parts of bloodshot i really loved <laughs> all the murders all the murders <laughs> okay so andrew having seen the movie and read the book <laughs> would you recommend this novelization to anyone and if so to whom uh okay here's the deal i would recommend this novelization did i think it was amazing I mean, it didn't totally blow my socks off, but I think that for a bloodshot head, somebody who really <laughs> loved the movie, there's some interesting details in here, and uh, I think it's not a super heavy experience. I think you can read this thing and get through it and be like, hey, that was fun, that was breezy. So I would only recommend it to somebody who needed to get shot with more blood. <laughs> Their life depends. You've been saving on that it. for the whole episode. I haven't. I'm just <laughs> clever. <laughs> okay. Um, Hannah, that reminds me of a question I wanted to ask, which is, um, if you had to recommend this to anyone, or if you were considering recommending it to anyone, mm -hmm. would you? And if so, to whom? <laughs> um, I would not recommend it. Actually, I think you're right that it's perfectly well written. It's really a breeze. I read it in two four-hour settings, just like crushed through it. Can't imagine. It's very like readable. But um, I don't think it adds anything to the movie. And because you're not getting the visuals of the movie, I think it's like the worser product. I don't think there's really anything like super worth it in here. It's I'm kind of I might read Gavin Smith's other books, yes. his like original fiction, because I think he's a perfectly good writer. Right. It's not that the writing is bad. It's just that he, it feels very constrained. Like he didn't have the room or the or like the allowance to like create additional scenes and like add richness. 
Um, so that's where I sit on the novelization. Yeah. I would recommend the movie to anyone at any time forever. Hey, we're getting a bloodshot too, allegedly. So. Yeah. I would love five Bloodshot movies. I, I wanted to know uh, when I was reading this, uh, like, what is a normal issue of Bloodshot like after you get past the origin story? I guess he goes on missions and fights bad guys, but he can't be killed because his blood is machine. Let me, let me pull up the Bloodshot Wikipedia page because there's something interesting about what his general... Uh, I've also never, like, looked at the art for Bloodshot. So this is all a new Google search for me. Oh, he does have hair. Interesting. Seems like the wrong choice. <laughs> yeah, I do think that Vin Diesel is like a totally like bald, like hulking, like thing that emerges out of the mist. And like he eventually is like very, very pale and he has like red eyes and this red glowy thing in his chest. Like, that's a cool look. I'm not sure it would be quite as cool with like for example, John Cena. Well, they have Vin go full uh, bloodshot face at the end there, right? When he yeah. does the grenade thing, he finally becomes totally pale and red-eyed and everything, which I I believe is just what he looks like all the time in the comics. That seems to be the case, again, given a pretty cursory Google search. Yeah. Um, something I, I realized... Uh, after finishing the movies, we don't actually know how he died. No, we don't. Uh, my under my the thing I have in my brain, which I guess is based on nothing, is that he he and Gina break up, mm -hmm. and then he volunteers for this kind of. No, because they only take well, unless that was them. a lie. Unless that was a lie. I, yeah, I don't know. That's, or he just like goes on a shit ton of missions and eventually gets popped. Like that happens. So then that's like the, that's the total recall twist. That it's like you actually volunteered for this and actually you're a villain and you suck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I have that in my little noggin about Bloodshot, but I don't know. It feels like the sort of thing where it feels like Dalton and Tibbs at least were like, I love this. Yeah, I want to be here doing this. Dalton and Tibbs are not a Bloodshot. So that's true. Like Dalton, now we're just back to talking about Bloodshot. Uh, <laughs> Dalton is like, is, we'll wrap it up in yeah, at least ten. We've minutes. got forty minutes here, so we'll wrap up quick. But um, <laughs> Dalton wants to be the Bloodshot killer really badly, which is to say, he wants Harding to put the tech in him and have him go out and kill these people. But mm -hmm. that he that wouldn't make him like a Bloodshot because he's still alive. Meaning he has real... You think you have to be a full corpse? I think you have... Like Bloodshot is just a re fully reanimated dead body? I think he is a fully reanimated dead body, for sure. And and I think, I think that the reason they can't do it with a living person is because they don't have, like, the control over their real memories. I don't really know. But I hmm. assumed that the reason they couldn't just make... Not Harding. The reason they couldn't just make Dalton a Bloodshot is because then his like psyche Val would be a whole problem because he's obviously a psychopath, right? See, I assume they didn't want to make him a bloodshot because he sucks. Yes. Like he's just obviously not the kind of guy you want with that amount of power. Yeah. He's just one of those people where like your friend is like dating him and you meet him for the first time and you're like, hmm. I don't like this. This is the choice you made. I, I respect you though. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew Marco, have you been now inspired to watch bloodshot or read the novelization? 
You know, I'm definitely inspired to take my shot of blood. <laughs> uh, the movie concept sounds quite fascinating. I do remember seeing the previews back when COVID was just a whisper in the wind. Uh, and, you know, it looked interesting, but I obviously just missed it in theaters. So I am interested to check it out. Check out more Vin in general. And yeah, I think I'd like to read some more of this guy's work, especially after we uh, have our interview. I'm sure I'll be heading to Amazon or my local bookstore, rather. I'll be heading wow, to my local bookstore. And by the way, to any listener, Andrew lives like right next to one of those Amazon cafes, so he's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that we don't have a Barnes and Noble in Maine, but we have plethora of Amazon books. Is that true? No. Okay, no. God. <laughs> uh, all right, and then should it come to pass, we'll be right back with our guest, uh, the author himself, Gavin G. Smith. Uh, up next here, we have uh, Gavin G. Smith, the author of the Bloodshot novelization. Gavin is the author of the hard-edged, action-packed sci-fi novels Veteran and War in Heaven, the Age of Scorpio trilogy, and the Bastard Legion books. He wrote the novelization of the film Bloodshot, of course, and his most recent release is a zombie apocalypse novel set during an alternative history World War III. When not writing, he enjoys gaming, walking, and travel, though he's not done much of the latter recently. Gavin, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you. Um, thank you very much. It's, um, uh, I, I was about to say it's very pleasant to be had, but that sounds odd. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's nice to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've done a lot of talking uh, up top here. Uh, Hannah or Andrew, do you want to get the, the ball rolling? So our, here's like the real first broad question, just to like get us started. So this is your only novelization to date. And so our question is sort of like, how do you end up writing a novelization? Like, why this? Why you? What's the process? Um, I, 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 I don't think... <laughs> I always wish that the answer to this question is more interesting than it sounds. <laughs> um, uh, it was edited by um, a gentleman called Craig Lenar, who um, works for Titan. Now, Craig had previously been my editor at Golanx, and then he'd moved across to Titan. Um, they buy a number of licenses. They do all sorts of licenses. Um, yeah, they've done. They did the Battle Angel Alita novelization. They did the Wonder Woman novelization and they have got a long history of doing all sorts of novelization stemming back probably um, since I was a kid. And um, I, that project came uh, sort of came across his desk. Um, he knows that I can work quickly because there was, there was a time element on it and there is always a time element um, where, when you're dealing with licensed properties, whether they're novelizations or not. And he knows that I can, I can write action and it was an action film so uh, so he then speaks to me I think there was a number of authors in the running um, and basically to see whether or not um, I was interested I liked the sound of it um, so yeah uh, I, I said yes I would do it so when when you were approached about this or when you began working on it how much of or basically, what source material did you have to work with? Was the film completed? Was the, did you just have a script? 
So uh, we had a script, and um, a script, I think a script is roughly about um, uh, 10,000 words long, and a novel tends to be about 80,000 words long. And with a novelization, you can't add anything that isn't going to be in the film. So straight away, you can see there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of a problem there. So... Um, uh, we had the script, and uh, I had a lot of questions because, you know, if you look at a script, it's very much bare bones because you want all the various departments to bring what they're going to bring to it. The script isn't the be-all, you know. Uh, I mean, I know it sounds obvious, but, I mean, it really is a blueprint for what you get. So I had a lot of questions. So I also, um, during the process, I was given access to all the production photographs. Now, the production photographs are uh, often taken to... Um, uh, to uh, yeah, as a means of reference, you know, they're not just you know they're, they're, they're not just nice photographs. They're used for all sorts of things, including continuity and whatnot. And that was really useful. Although I, I did start to feel strangely voyeuristic because I was you know you, you you're seeing quite a lot of detail about uh, these people's lives, and you're not just seeing the the actors. You're seeing the you know the director, the crew, and things like that. So it was a bit of an odd experience because you really sort of because when you're using them for research you're really focusing in on them um but those are the two main things and then i read an awful lot of bloodshot comics as well so previous to that you weren't familiar with the the property or you hadn't you hadn't uh done a deep dive on it um <laughs> no I, I i don't know why because i'm a massive comics fan and i was reading comics in the early 90s which seemed to be peak Bloodshot before it's uh, for the character's reinvention, uh, but somehow I missed Bloodshot, and I'm not sure how or why. Um, so no, I didn't know a great deal about uh, a great deal about the character. So I had to do a lot of quick um, reading up. Fortunately, that's a lot easier these days than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Between various wikis, between how quickly you can get graphic novels and things like that, and mm -hmm. you know, also mm -hmm. have a think about it. I was basically getting paid for reading comics, which sixteen-year-old <laughs> me is looking at me in awe. <laughs> so uh, you said that you you are uh, unable to alter anything that's in the movie. Uh, th at least reading your novelization, that doesn't feel true it feels like there are there are things uh that you added uh just lines of dialogue uh or details or say an entire epilogue uh and and i i'm kind of curious is that because they were included in an earlier draft of the script uh or were you able to make some things up whole cloth? And also, how did that mandate come down? Were you told, like, don't invent things? So um, I did a number of passes at it. And this, this um, um, so a lot of writers, uh, they do many, many drafts. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I plan heavily to try and do the minimum amount of draft, uh, drafts. I try and do the hard work up front to make the writing process easier on myself mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but this one i think got up to about six drafts so uh obviously i i, I this is going to sound a little bit long-winded but i'm getting to answer your question so no, you're you're totally good 
obviously um, bloodshot to a degree is about the spectacle because it's audio visual now with the best will in the world i've been told that i can write reasonably good action but there's only so far you're going to get with action on the page and uh, you know we read books because we're interested in the uh, yeah, in the internal lives of the character so we can enmesh ourselves with those characters so um the first thing i did is i added an awful lot more internal stuff trying to work out what those characters would be feeling in those situations and whatnot although we only uh, we mostly stick with bloodshots um uh, bloodshots pov throughout there i think it, there's a couple of other povs in there but mostly bloodshots and that got me up to a certain amount of words and then um yeah, it's quite slick. It's quite a fast-paced film. Um, so then sort of uh, talking with um, my agent, uh, sorry, talking with my editor, Craig, and he's talking to Sonny and he's talking um, uh, to uh, the, the comics people as well. And we're going, okay, I, I think we're going to have to add things here. So what can we get away with, with, with adding? And I think it was me who said we need to add things. So... What we um, what we decided, first of all, there was a difference between what was scripted and what was filmed, but that always happens. And uh, so, but we've we've only get to work with what we you know what we can work with. So I went to them and said, I think we're going to need to add things, and we were kind of expecting that there would be a bit of pushback about this, but everybody was extremely reasonable. Uh, with it and I've worked with um, big media companies in the past and they can be a little bit difficult and not unreasonably because they want to um, protect their their IP but they were fine with this so what we try to do is we added scenes which were going to be um, sort of encapsulated so they worked as a kind of mini story in themselves uh, they didn't break the plot but they were fun and hopefully entertaining um, as well. And I think the two big ones were uh, Dr. Harton going to New Mexico to try and sell um, the, the CIA uh, on using Bloodshot and the CIA guy. Go, uh, can I spoiler my own book? Yes, 100%. We have already discussed it up and down. So any listener, we have ruined it for <laughs> So the, the CIA uh, guy saying, no, that's a, that's a stupid idea. And here are all the reasons why that's a stupid idea. And the other one was KT going to the um, the tri-border area to um, try and track down um, uh, track down the character whose name I can't remember. As I say, I wrote this a couple <laughs> of years back. Now um, track down um, the missing computer genius guy Wiggins. Wiggins, thank you. Of course, um, and uh, there was a uh, yeah, there was a, a bit of a fight and an escape in the hotel, and that was odd. And then we go, okay, we're still sure. And uh, my favourite thing, my my sweet spot for working in other people's IP is to say, well, can I just go and write an original story in your IP, please? Which is actually kind of cheeky. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, again, um, you know, Sony and the comics people were like, uh, yeah, that's fine. So I pitched three ideas for a story. Uh, I can't remember the third one, but one of them was... Um, 
Barris trying to steal some technology in, in Silicon Valley, which I think would have been a lot of fun to write, but the characters weren't significant enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and um, I wanted to see KT get some more sort of page time, if you see what I mean. So her kind of origin story, because, you know, everybody loves an origin story and superhero stories. Nobody's bored of that at all. <laughs> it was a, a real surprise to to start reading Into the Fire and realize that it was an origin story for KT. I mean, if I had, I, I, I loved the story, but if I had to bet before reading it, I'd be like, this is just going to be like a Ray Garrison adventure you know or something like that to have it be this specific story about how she came to be where she is uh at the beginning of the novel it was it was really interesting um when you talk about that one scene with um uh harding going to try to make that business deal and it it blown up in his face that is really interesting to me because it takes advantage of something you can't really do on the screen which is the scene is so much about the interiority of the Harding character and the the sort of unbridled anger that he has right underneath the surface and is also really satisfying in how he he is you know a sort of casually psychopathic in in uh, the movie and the book and the to see him wander outside of the bubble that he controls and have another character just go, this is a, a wildly irresponsible man. It was, uh, it was very amusing. Yeah, I mean, I I think I, I do because I was thinking about this earlier on because I was I obviously knew I was I was coming here, and I wonder if I undermined the character of Harting. But I mean, that's the thing with because I mean, he's a he's a massive control freak. He has to control everything around him, and I'm sure we have all met people like that at one time or uh, one time or another. And I think that's the thing about those kind of people pulled outside of their bubble. There's a kind of impotent rage about them, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's where I was trying to get to. But um, again, you have to be careful that you don't undermine your main. You, you, your main villain, although I, th- I think the villain for me much more is Dalton, who is just a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely, quite a fella. Well, it's like he—it's like he took everything. Um, I've forgotten the actor's the, the actor's name. He's a wonderful actor. I, re- I really like him in Outlander. But it's like he—he—he he, he wanted to take everything about the character of Outlander and destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, spit on this idea of him as a romantic hero and going, "No, I am a—I am a terrible, terrible uh, human being." Well, in in the film, uh, the the Guy Pierce performance as um as I'm. Mixing the names up now. Harding. Harding. The Guy Pierce uh, performance as Harding. I think it, it's a very satisfying performance, and, and I think Hannah and I were both talking about how much we enjoyed it, but it would be richer if we saw him go outside of RST and sort of just flounder. I mean, just to see essentially the big fish leave the small pond. It's, it's a very... Uh, it's it's a total shift of perspective that I, I don't think it undermines the villain at all. I think it shows that he is uh, feeling like he doesn't have control, which makes a person like that dangerous. Yes, and um, you know if he then overcompensates for it in his own private kingdom, which I think 
much of what's going on is because I mean ridiculous levels of control. I mean, I, I mean Harting at his worst, I think, is um, what he does to KT. I mean, literally cuts off her air. Yeah, this is maybe a failing of me misunderstanding the movie. I was talking about this a little bit in our in our discussion, just the three of us earlier, but um, is. Is Harding essentially just running a like his own private company? Because if so, the what he's doing to KT has to be heinously criminal, or is it somehow endorsed by the government? Um, so I, all I can really give you is my reading on this, <laughs> sure. and I'm now thinking if there's anything in the NDA which um, uh, pre- <laughs> I think I'm on. I, I think I'm on solid grounds here. Then maybe I should have read the NDA. I'm being so much more on. provocative than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, my understanding of it is that um, it is a it is connected um, to certainly the American government, um, but uh, how the American, where private corporate interests and the American military industrial complex sort of end, um, I mean, yeah, the Central Intelligence Agency uh, has interests in private companies like InQtel and things like that, and that's that's not a secret. That's something that everybody knows. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. how clear cut it is, but whether it's got backing of the government or not, I mean, uh, you know, uh, where is the health and safety person in that <laughs> company? Do you know, what I mean? <laughs> my personal politics. My personal politics are that if the government's backing this, Harding's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's a bold statement. I mean, that that that, that puts the film in a whole other light. Yeah, it's like Bloodshot and Katie are just hugely unreasonable domestic terrorists. Absolutely, you guys are starting to see it my way. Uh, so, can you talk to us about the uh, the epilogue to the book, which is not present in the movie. Uh, this scene where Eric is uh, at the control panel and uh, Harding is revealed to be alive. Is that something you added in, or was that at one point in the script? No, it was in the script. <laughs> um, I don't know what it was about. <laughs> I know that sounds bad, and I do, hope I, I do hope I don't get into trouble for this. I mean, I think... Um, so first of all, there's a mistake. Um, I get the Stone Temple Pilots and Queens of the Stone Age mixed up, which for somebody with my particular interest in music is is deeply shameful. And I have never admitted this to any of my gig buddies ever. So I'm just hoping uh, you know none of them listen to your podcast. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. And what I, and I can't believe is um, Craig, my editor, it was a similar taste in music. He didn't catch it either. Um, but uh, I don't really know what that was about. And we kind of included it um, because the sort of mandate was put what is in. I mean, okay, we're adding to it, but what we can't do is take away from the script. Mm-hmm. Um, I get the feeling it was something. It was an idea that they were toying with that even if they did film it, um, it didn't. Uh, I mean, it feels like an Easter credits Easter egg, doesn't it? Um, but I, I, I don't know. It was in there because it was in the script. Um, 
I personally think we shouldn't have risked it in the book because I think it just causes confusion. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. you know, we, we, we've got we've got to uh, you know play the cards we're dealt, so to speak. But um, no, I don't know because what happens to because what happens to Harding in the book is different to what happens to Harding in the film. But both of them are reasonably emphatic, you know. Um, so I'm not sure what that's all about. Although I understand that Bloodshot Two has been greenlit. I was going to ask if you've got any uh, finger on the pulse of whether you're <laughs> writing that one. I have absolutely no insider knowledge about it. Um, I, 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 I would be. I'm way, way, way down the list before I would find out anything about it. Um, I only know what I've read on the internet, and of course, the internet's never wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but I mean, that might explain more. Sure. Well, what, to clarify, we're not Bloodshot superfans. We're novelization superfans. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> we're just ready for Bloodshot 2, the novelization. <laughs> <laughs> so on that side, like, did you enjoy the process of writing it? Would you write another one? Um, it, it, was, <laughs> it really was one of the most challenging things I've ever done. Really? Yes. Yeah. And um, I... Purely, purely because it was the first time I did it, and it was that disparity in um, in word count. So um, I did some research before I started writing it, and read some scripts, and then read the novelizations to see to see how they worked. And um, the one thing that I noticed was that the uh, you know the longer scripts were easier to novel uh, turn into a novelization, and this was quite a short script. And so I was sort of sitting there going, okay, well, let's have a look. I, I refer to it as my Russian novel because I talk so much about the internal works of the character. And I'm, <laughs> I'm this kind of fast-paced action-y guy. So, um, but, uh, uh, so it, it really was quite a challenge. Um, it, it immediately became uh, easier uh, when we were allowed to add bits and pieces and it was just a case of sort of going backwards and forwards and saying can we add this here we add this here and then it became that much easier when they said yeah add, add a short story and i like the short story because part of me was thinking this should be a shorter novel because the eighty thousand word thing is a very modern thing and if you guys um love novelizations one of my favorite novelization is sean hudson's terminator because that's how old i am and um and that's a very short book i mean there's something like uh, 150 pages or something like that a hard one to track down we've considered it but it's it's in a bit of uh, short supply these days yes um i have a copy um but um you can't have mine <laughs> Um, I, I think uh, I, I believe that um, Cameron didn't like it. He said it was too violent. Um, to which Sean Hudson replied, "Well, I just wrote what was in the script." <laughs> Terminator is quite a violent film, but I mean, uh, Sean Hudson's experience was as a um, uh, a horror writer. Mm -hmm. uh, I digress. What was the question? I uh, was uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I found it. I found it very difficult to get up. And although I felt at times it should be a much shorter novel um, because of the amount of material that we had to work with, I was pleased when they said write a short story um, because that meant that you know 
people were going to get charged what they were going to get charged for the book, which would be the same whether it was short or long. So it was nice to give people value for money. Mm-hmm. And also it was a lot of fun just to make something up in the, um, uh, in the world. So I imagine with it being a short script, I, I mean, it's a normal sized or normal length movie. It's, it's you know, what have you, an hour 40. Uh, I, I've got to imagine that it's because the script had a lot of things in it like he runs down the street shooting everyone stuff that takes a while but is six words right they fight (laughs) if if it's an hour and 40 which sounds about right it was probably a hundred page um a hundred page script which feels about right it's been a little while since i've looked at it Mm -hmm. um and um I think what it was because I was uh, I read the novelization of and looked at the script for Wonder Woman, uh, which is a bit of a longer film and it's a very dense script. Um, and I started off as a scriptwriter, so I know a little bits and pieces about the uh, about uh, about the process. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very good at script writing, henceforth became an, uh, a novelist. But um, uh, but and I mean the same with the other one that I looked at was Aliens, which again is a slightly longer film. And um, uh, again, a little bit of a denser, a, 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 you know, a denser script. Yeah, which is not. I mean, this isn't. Uh, I'm not sort of beating up on the script for Bloodshot. The script for Bloodshot was great, but you know, it's it was a different kind of film, if you see what I mean. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that much. There wasn't that much to go on. Yeah, and a lot of it was things blowing up and whatnot. So no, absolutely. Um... I have more epilogue questions. <laughs> I, mean, I, I I will do what I can. I, I have no idea why he was watching Bad Boys. No, yes, okay. So, the thing about that I was going to say about the epilogue is there's two mentions of, of like, IP in what is essentially half a page of writing. So, you, you don't know... The Bad Boys thing was from the script. You don't know why it was there. I, I mean, I'm occasionally wondering if it was um, uh, just a, a huge practical joke on behalf of Sony who want to get me sued by the Stone Temple pilots because <laughs> of my mistake, the Queens of the Stone Age as well, and Michael Bay. Um, I don't know. Um <sighs> I mean, you're asking me to speculate, and um, as I, said, I don't think there was a problem with the epilogue, except that I didn't understand it enough, and perhaps that was a problem for mine. I should have gone back to them and said, okay, what's this about, because mm-hmm. I don't get it. Um, I know there was a, I know there was a certain sort of homage feel to Bloodshot and in interviews of, uh, with the filmmakers you know that I've seen seen them give they they talked about classic classic films like the Terminator like Robocop and what have you and I don't know if it was something to do I don't know if it was something to do with that but um, I don't mm-hmm. understand the epilogue I'm sorry <laughs> I wish I, well you, you just got me on here to explain the epilogue it's it, yeah it was my main goal and then uh, <laughs> yeah so the the bad boys thing and the uh, Queens of the Stone Age song were both in the script. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Was the if I can ask about the Queens of the Stone Age Stone Temple Pilots switcheroo? Did the script call it Stone Temple Pilots? No, the mistake was mine. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, the thing is, I I know the difference. <laughs> 
we believe you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I just got excited because it's two bands with the word Stone in their name. and Both uh, good bands. Yeah, yeah I, I know a lot more about Queens of the Stone Age than I do Stone Temple Pilots, which actually makes the mistake worse. <laughs> Absolutely, you've betrayed the the one you care about. Yeah, effectively, that's what I did. This is a wonderfully edifying uh, interview, by the way. (laughs) I can't help you. um, We're just going over my past mistakes. I, I... I apologize. We 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 greatly uh, in, enjoyed the novelization. It's a uh, it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, we run up against this with a lot of books. So, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of novelizations are of science fiction or action movies. Um, and the the trick of getting all of that action, all that stuff that's meant to be ingested visually, into words without it becoming like just a sludge of he went here and he did this then he did this then he did this it's it's a magic trick like truly so yes i mean i i think i think the reason that so many of the novelizations are um and i mean i they're action but the kind of genre action pieces mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that is because that they've got big fan bases um you know um i'm trying to think of a film which uh, a more main a more sort of mainstream film that isn't necessarily action based at uh, for example something like legally blonde i don't think lots of people love it um but i don't think that there's that sort of fanish level there for it if you see what i mean it's mm-hmm. it's a different kind of a uh, 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 fandom i guess is what i'm trying to say although yeah you're not now not going to tell me that, that you've done the legally blonde episode are you? It, we would i think that sounds <laughs> if it exists it sounds good i mean I, I fully intend that we'll do the sleepless in seattle novelization at some point there is one so <laughs> But I think that's an interesting point. I think a lot of the the motivation behind buying, buying a novelization is if it takes place in some sci-fi or fantasy world, you're leaving a movie going, oh, I wish I had more of that. And you're thinking, I hope this novelization has a little more of this world. If it's legally blonde, you're like, I've visited Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) The interesting thing about the Sleepless in Seattle novelization, that should be easier. Um, I I don't know if they, you know, if you, if you ever get to interview, this this is, we're going off on a strange tangent here. It's all good. Get to interview um, whomever wrote Sleepless in Seattle and they're just shaking their face and going, no, it wasn't. It was really hard. Mm -hmm. But uh, because it's all character stuff, in Sleepless in Seattle, um, you would think that that would kind of make it make it easier because you don't have to hold somebody's attention with long action scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I suppose the the idea behind action scenes and novelizations is you is you make it personal that you connect it to the characters and how they're how they're feeling, and hopefully you get over it um, uh, over it that way. Which is why I should stop writing so many of my POVs of so many emotionless psychopaths, I think. <laughs> that does make it hard. Yeah, just making myself... Yeah. How, how does he feel about this? Well, he doesn't have any feelings at all. Cause... 
Was there a well, point in writing Bloodshot where you thought, well, I need to make this sound like Vin Diesel. I have to capture the Vin Diesel energy between drafts four and five? Or um, I was sort of... I, yeah, obviously, I, I, I was aware of Vin Diesel, and I got horribly, horribly made fun of um, a little while ago because I said that Vin Diesel is a much, much better actor than he's genuinely given credit for. He's great. We, we all agree him. with you. Yeah, we love him. Um, I mean, uh, I, I think he's only in it briefly, but Saving a Private Ryan, um, uh, the gangster one that I can never remember the name of. Um the gangster one. Yeah, yeah, he's he, um, he, he's on trial, and uh, all his gangster friends hate him because they think he's grassing and he's not. But, um, I find him guilty. That's the one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's a comedy piece, but I mean, to my mind, he's showing range, and I think the um, uh, Pitch Black. He's terrifying in Pitch Black. He's really genuinely scary and every, but uh, but i mean many things because people focus on him as an action star and because he's a big guy and things like that and um perhaps some of the um the fast and furious films are not quite as challenging um as they might be um you know i think that gets lost so i was sort of aware of him doing it but i mean you've got to you've got to write the characters as presented to you and I, I didn't see any of the footage. I didn't see any of the rushes. The first time I was aware of it was the trailer when I saw them in place, and I'd finished by then. Did you like the movie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so the movie came out um, in the very same week that the UK locked down. Hmm. So I snuck into a cinema to see it the day before all the cinemas closed. So it didn't get much of a run in the UK. I don't know. I don't know what the situation was like um, uh, in the uh, you know in the US. But um, yeah, we. <laughs> I, I kept on thinking. So okay, so I've done this book, and oh great, nobody's going to get to see the film. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. But um, uh, no, I did enjoy the movie. I mean, the, the movie is what the movie is, but um, I, I enjoy action films. I, I think that for what it is trying to be, which is nothing highbrow, it's pretty excellent. I had a wonderful <laughs> time with the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it was um, John Hurt was talking about why he picks films, and he picks films based on whether or not they succeed in their own right. And mm. I think that is a secret there. It sets out to do a thing. It does that thing extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. That first act or second act twist is is just satisfying. Yeah. Yes, uh, and um, uh, the... Uh, the set, the set action piece in the tunnel in Budapest. Yes, uh, it's a lovely, lovely um, uh, set piece, uh, action set piece. Although I do think all oh, that flower would explode, but I know even as I say that, I turn into one of those. Well, actually, guys, I'm just going to go full moron here. Why would flower explode? 
Uh, it's um, apparently um, it used to happen to mills a lot. Um, flour isn't terribly flammable, but I believe it's quite explosive if there's a spark. Hmm. Um, I think um, I, I'm now wishing I'm not saying this publicly facing, <laughs> completely doubting what I think I know. <laughs> And like all the other well, actually, people will pounce on me on the internet. Um, but no, I, I, as far as I'm aware, old-fashioned mills, uh, you know, windmills, watermills, things like that, used to occasionally explode when a spark caught the flower. Wow. Dangerous business being a miller, apparently. <laughs> uh, you learn something new every day. Well, I'm now beginning to doubt myself. And I- <laughs> that makes some sense to me. Wheat, you dry it out. It's like grass. Grass lights on fire very easily. Like, I, I see how that could happen. Definitely. Three minutes from now, Gavin's saying, you know, eggs too are flammable. <laughs> I'll go dig out my bread flour and I'll put a match to it and I'll just report back. We'll let you know. <laughs> That's why chickens sometimes explode. <laughs> um, Gavin, before we get out of here, do you want to uh, plug anything you've been doing recently? Um, yes, if, 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 um, if everybody listening to this could please, uh, go and buy Spec Ops Zeb, um, my most recent, uh, zombie apocalypse book, hopefully it will become so popular that somebody will turn it into a film and then it can be a sort of preemptive novelization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would you hire someone else to do the novelization? I, I think I would just use the book. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, we cannot cover it. <laughs> uh, no, I suppose at that point, it's, it's an adaption. Um, what I might do is um, uh, just sort of sellotape the word novelization uh, un- underneath the... <laughs> if I could, I could fool people. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, in the uh, plot description of... You said it's, it's called Spec Ops Z, right? Um, which I have queued up as my, my next audible... Uh, you know, whatever it's called. So the next book after Bloodshot. Um, what What is the uh, meaning of it being a, an alternate history of World War Three? Because as far as I know, there's not a regular history of World War Three. Uh, <laughs> it's. Um, I think that was uh, me trying to get across a lot of information using as little words as possible. <laughs> um, you are correct. If there was a World War Three, we were we were kind of um, uh, unaware of it, unless you count the Cold War um, mm-hmm. and its and the various proxy wars outside of it. Um, the idea was that Glasnost never happened in uh, in Russia. Uh, that Gorbachev was deposed by um, uh, communist uh, hardliners and uh, they had access to a bioweapon which effectively creates zombies and they think well if we use this as a first strike weapon if we use this to to cripple NATO then then we can uh, then we can actually win World War Three, which is of course a, a ridiculous idea. Any war of that scale is always going to be a zero sum game, um, and of course it doesn't work. Uh, but to get the bio weapon into New York, they pick up a Spetsnaz, a Russian special forces crew who have been 
through um, Afghanistan, which of course was going on at the, the the Russian invasion or the Russian occupation of Afghanistan, which was going on, and this squad are a mess. Yeah, they've got discipline problems because they've been fighting for so long, they've been treated really badly, and sends them to New York to release the plague. They get caught up, um, but for one reason or another, the 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 dead members of the team managed to hold on to their um, personality and their intellect to a degree. So they're kind of like smart zombies. And they decide that they're going to go home and have a chat with the people who made them deliver this horrible bioweapon. Mm-hmm. They're going to remonstrate with them in no uncertain terms. I'm seeing a bit of a, a through line here with the, the undead coming back. You were very bloodshot inspired. Well, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's oh, bloodshot. So bloodshot was Robocop, taking cues from Terminator. You. They're all Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, so uh, I, I think they have a much, much older um, pedigree. Absolutely. Uh, and do we have uh, anything else we uh, wanted to ask him before we let the, the gentleman go? Thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, been a, an abs- absolute pleasure. I, I was, no doubt you could tell I was somewhat nervous, but um. <laughs> oh, it's we're so glad to have you on. Um, this you are the first uh, author of a novelization we've had on, and uh, so the the feedback I was getting was next time don't rake the person over the coals about one mistake they made at the end of the book. <laughs> um, I, I yeah, uh, no, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, it really was an unbelievable mistake. I mean, both, both myself and my editor, how we missed that. And then the copy editor. But I have no idea if the copy editor was a Queens of the Stone Age fan or not. Yeah, so. everybody says, or, you know, like uh, old people say, like, uh, all rap sounds the same, all rock sounds the same. I think all stone bands sound the same. So I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Gavin, for coming on. Uh, to our listener, uh, listener, <laughs> or one listener. Singular. It's a, is your listener the same person as my reader? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Two, uh, two Winston Phillips in Gores, Wisconsin, <laughs> our one listener. Thank you for tuning in to Authorized. Uh, we will be back next week with the uh, Quentin Tarantino Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization. We were not able to land the author for that one. <laughs> And uh, have a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm.